So, hello everyone. I hope you had a good night and uh, something to eat this morning. I'd like to ask for your um, attention, kind of open-eyed attention. Uh, this is not a guided meditation. I need you online, okay? Yeah, great. Thank you. Um, Good. Retreat has begun. Some clarifications about um, specifics of Satipatthana practice. As you are probably aware, this is a huge quarry of teachings. Um, besides the famous Satipatthana suttas, we have a number of other uh, teachings on the topic of Satipatthana scattered in various other places. Uh, the the non-Pali tradition has a rich um, corpus of texts and teachings on Satipatthana as well that shed some interesting light. So there is an, a breadth of different uh, hints about how to practice meditation. This is probably one of the most practical uh, meditation instructions you can get out of early Buddhism, this, the Kaya Sati Sutta, the Anapanasati Sutta, and a few smatterings which we find here and there, um, are giving us at least a few hints of how practically to approach meditation. Yeah. I think it's necessary to acknowledge that much what's happening in meditation and what's needed in meditation is not actually mapped in the text. Yeah, let's. This is not the whole story. This is important to know. That's why there are guys like me here, who otherwise we would just send you the PDF and you'd do it on your own. Yeah. There are bits missing, and those practical bits missing, we all need to learn. We need to learn by sitting with our minds. We need to learn by listening to other people talking about mental phenomena. This is specialist knowledge. Yeah? While mindfulness is not specialist, and it's been as old as uh, the circling of hawks and uh, the cooing of pigeons, uh, the actual skill to develop that and to distill out of mindfulness stillness, calm, samadhi, and to transform convert samadhi into insight, uh, there are a number of skills necessary that are not easy to pick up. They're specialist knowledge, quite clearly. And while the instruction may sound simple, the actual follow-through on these instructions is often a lot less obvious and a lot less simple. Some of the things that we look at when we look at from a distance appear quite clear, you know, the outline is abundantly contoured, the route is reasonably sketched. But as soon as we enter the to topography of our hindrances, the topography of our own stories, the topography of our own minds, where emotions and thoughts and sensations and feelings are all hanging in together, uh, can be a bit overwhelming. So it's necessary that we get our gear clear, yeah? that we work with our equipment, that we work with the greatest possible clarity of identifying tools, orienting within the landscape of our particular mind 
phenomena. Yeah? So that is his work. And that work needs great clarity. Just sitting here, closing your eyes, looking angelic and hoping it will all go well, will not do the job. I trust you know this. I trust that's why you're here. So uh, I need your willingness to engage with a couple of exercises which may not be what you like to do. Yeah. Our minds have habits. Our attention has habits. And some of those habits are comfort-seeking and uh, pleasure-seeking and are studiously avoiding things that are difficult or making me slightly uneasy. And if they haven't made you awakened until now, you have good reason to suspect they never will. Yeah? Yeah. So this is a call to have your minds and hearts engage with uh, notions of practice. Now, there are many different ways you can make use of Satipatthana practices. I trust many of you have read some of the literature in the field. You will know that there are different ways of understanding Satipatthanas, different ways of approaching Satipatthana. What I suggest uh, does not claim to be exclusive. It is just my personal take. It is what I have learned, what I have understood, how I make sense. All of this is preliminary. I do not claim awakening. I do not claim that this is perfectly effective for everybody under all circumstances and anybody who does something else is a heretic and should be tired and fetid. That's not my point of view. Um, I offer a few tools and I'd like you to engage with those tools. Yeah. I've been around the block for a while, so I have some idea what meditators are about, as you will have been around for a while and you have some ideas what meditation teachers are about. So. <laughs> Knowing smile, huh? Yeah. And um, I would like to suggest that we identify terminology that helps us to start on the good foot. So, in my terminology, it's important to distinguish attention, intention, and mindfulness. Attention and intention are reasonably clear. Intention is what gets the attention going. One of the big things about attention is it's deliberate. It can be directed. Awareness cannot be really directed. Yeah. Mindfulness, no. As a whole, cannot be directed. Attention, yes. That's one of the things. You can choose a focus, you can choose a gauge, you can choose an object, the process, a situation to devote your attention to. Attention can be very focal, topical, sharp, pointed, and identify minute parts of your experience and follow those parts. Yeah, that will be temporal continuity as a virtue of attention. And attention can be wide, open, spacious. Yeah. There we could practice different qualities of that attention, something like stability, width, uh, unobstructedness. So this would be two different directions in which attention can be strengthened or cultivated. Yeah. It's no secret that meditation traditions have suggested generally one over the other. Um, beautifully, they have not agreed. Uh, on this, but they have developed particular brands of schools of meditation practice. Yeah, so uh, typical examples would be the 
very object-focused notion of samadhi in, say, Burmese Adipatthana and some of the uh, very awareness-focused open spatial qualities that are cultivated in Sutra Mahamudra, for example. Yeah? So, but the truth is you find in every big tradition, you find also the opposite of what that particular tradition is famous for. Yeah? So you find in early Pali texts a lot of meditations also that are not focusing on objects. Yeah? Contemplating signlessness is not really an object. Contemplating emptiness is not really an object. Contemplating desirelessness is not really an object. Yeah. So there are many, many aspects to meditation practice and it is necessary that we use the whole tool set yeah, rather than just honing what we have basically tried to do or what we would like to do or what we think we're, not, we're never good enough at. This may be a very limiting access to this particular teaching. So it's necessary to widen your gaze for particular tools. The tradition, the commentarial tradition of Theravada Buddhism claims that there are 40 different meditation objects, which is a gross underestimation of what's actually there. You know, the Visuddhimagga speaks of these tradition, traditional 40 objects of meditation, which, you know, even a cursory, cursory glance into the suttas will teach you that there is a lot more there than 40 different ways to meditate, 40 different meditative themes or objects. When I say object, I don't actually mean a clearly defined, unmovable, reified thing. Yeah. When I say objects, this is shorthand for um, anything I can place my attention onto. This may be a process. That process may be internal. It may be external. It may be fast-moving, like thought. Or it may be slow-moving, like a physical sensation. It may be very dynamic or very static. It may be big or small. So that object word, think of that in scare quotes. Yeah. So let us go back to this intention, attention and mindfulness uh, distinctions. I think this is important. Um, attention has received a lot of good press. There's a famous chapter in uh, William James's famous book on the quality of attention. And he says some beautifully visionary things uh, long before he had statistics to prove such things. He uh, said some beautiful things. One of the things he said in there, and which is so wonderfully Buddhist, um, he said to make sure that you pay attention to something thoroughly you at the same time need to retrieve your attention from other things. Yeah. Now, if you want this in a politically not correct Buddhist language, then this would sound something like, Indriya Sangvara is needed for your practice. Yeah. Restraining your senses is needed. If you want to understand one sense better, you need to restrain some of your other senses. Um, if you want to focus attention on, say, what's happening in the mind, you need to be willing to renounce some of the gratification-seeking that's usually going on in your other five senses. Yeah. Both of these statements uh, are share, share the understanding that attention is finite and limited. Yeah. This is important to acknowledge, as is time. Yeah. We don't have 
forever. And we don't have unlimited resources when it comes to attention. Without acknowledging very, very soberly that both our time and our attention are limited, we are under the, in the illusion that we basically can figure out things one after the other. and The important ones will come to us on their own accord. Yeah. But that's not the case. If we do not set the priorities, other people will set them. There's loads of people out there quite happy to set priorities for you. Priorities for what you should attend to, because they know. If you attend to it, you'll buy it sooner or later. Yeah. You'll join them. You'll visit them. So if you do not make the choice where your attention goes, then other people will make that choice. If you do not make a conscious choice of where your attention goes, then other unconscious factors will make that choice. Pleasure-seeking, avoidance of pain, what your parents told you, social conditioning, your fears, uh, your favorite control patterns, you know, all those things will basically have a major say in the economy of where your attention goes. If you're unhappy with the result so far, I, I suggest you may contemplate looking for alternatives or for improvements on that score. So attention is to a large extent involuntary attention, which is uh, pulled out of us. All it needs is a loud sound, a sudden move, a jolt, uh, um, an unexpected event, a strong collar, and our attention goes there. We all know this. This is quite useful for survival. And it's quite annoying if we want to study the mind, because we keep being pulled away. That's why meditation is difficult. So when I say just be with the breath, follow the breath, feel the breath, feel the arising, feel four cycles in the breath, this kind of thing, which sounds easy enough, I keep meeting that pull that takes my mind away from this task. A pull that I somehow find initially hard to explain. But the closer we look, the more it becomes obvious that that pull resembles a very, very deeply ingrained pattern. And that pattern says, I am here, please stimulate me in some way that I find gratifying. I am here, please do not provide me with things that I don't like, that make me afraid, that hurt me, um, that uh, are in some way offensive to my sensitivities. Yeah. And that little voice organizes most of our involuntary attention. So it becomes very easy to give our attention to things we like. We have lots of time and lots of availability for things that are gratifying both my sense of self, but also my senses. And I have very, very great reluctance in applying my attention to things that are offensive or that do not gratify me or do not even promise to gratify me. Yeah. Neither my sense of self nor my senses. So I end up in a situation in which most of my attention is already organized before I had a say in this. Yeah. Simply because of a deeply ingrained pattern of gratification seeking and avoidance of discomfort. Now I do have a say in this if I am conscious of where my attention goes because 
Where my attention goes, this will become my experience. Yeah, it's as simple as that. Where I allow my attention to dwell, to preoccupy itself with world, with contact, be that an inner world or an outer world, that is what will become my life. That's as simple as that. Where my attention goes, this is, will be my life. Yeah? So if you give your attention to things that do not even try making you happy, that do not even promise making you awake or more clear or more content, then it is unlikely that your attention will provide you with experiences that will bring you anywhere near these qualities. Awakeness, clarity, contentment. That's why we need to have a word in there. That's why we need to get in there with, uh, with our intention. And we need to affirm that we have a choice. We need to affirm that we can wake up. We need to affirm that we have a say in the direction of this attention. Yeah. That's where refugees come in. That's where the Buddha comes in. That's where thinking about my life and considering what is important what I have learned in this phase. You know. Many of you are over 25, so uh, oh, you know, we know a few things. We've learned a few things about life, and uh, we need to ask ourselves, the stuff I have learned about life and what is important in life, what I have learned about myself and others, the value of relationship, the value of practice, the value of training, all this, what do I owe myself when I know what I know? How do I need to live? And it seems to me unavoidable that we need to come to some conclusion that we need to take responsibility for stewarding this attention. That's where Buddhist mind training begins. It begins with the acknowledgement that we have capacity to make choices, and that we can train forms of attention that are the raw material for mindfulness, that are the raw material of insight, the raw material of stillness of mind. So that's where it begins. Where does my attention go? And how can I find appropriate places for this attention to land on if I'm interested in clarity, in awakening, in contentment, in wholesome factors, in other words? We're trying to elaborate a little bit on this. You know, we're also interested in joy, we're interested in samadhi, we're interested in renunciation, we're interested in equanimity, we're interested in compassion. This, it's going to be a little more complicated than just still, clear, and awake. But the basic direction is still, clear, and awake, because that's where we are at, where we are at our best. That's where we have the greatest chance to experience freedom, to experience connectedness, uh, to experience um, the, the power that comes from a heart that is not tangled up with its fears or with, or with its needs or with its conditioning or with its illusions. A heart that is capable of being here without trembling, of partaking in a world and the preciousness of a human life without preoccupation with one's story. So, attentional focus and learning to anchor attention is a crucial tool in meditation practice. 
Now, meditation practice hinges on a very simple principle. It says, A, I can have a say in where this attention goes beyond the pattern of seeking gratification and avoiding discomfort. Yeah? While this may be the blueprint, I actually have a way to modulate this pattern. If I am conscious of where I have a choice and of how I am being affected by the stuff I'm putting in, if I make that choice wisely, then a voluntary attention, a deliberate attention, begins to grow and begins to become a realistic option in the economy of my attention. All meditation does that. It says, you know, you basically become what you put you into your mind. If you put stuff into your mind that makes you feel horrible, then your mind will feel horrible. It's not difficult to understand, isn't it? When it comes to food, we've understood this. Most of us have understood this, that this body metabolizes the kind of food it puts in. So if you put stuff in that makes you feel horrible, then your body starts to feel horrible, isn't it? That we have learned to, you know, this famous historical example, Pythagoras hated beans, for example, yeah, and he writes negative things about beans. There you have great philosopher, Greek philosopher, you know, little diatribe against beans, yeah, because he obviously had some indigestion and some wind, and he felt, you know, if you want to be a decent philosopher, you have to hold back on beans because they make you, they make your life miserable. So. So we have understood this, very simple connections between the stuff we put into our bodies, but we haven't quite understood this with what we put into our minds. So learning to find an appropriate resting place for attention and keep bringing back the mind to this entails that we have such a resting place, that we identify anchors for mind, mind the mind's attention. Buddha has a number of ideas about this. Satipatthana tradition speaks of a number of ways we can learn to find such resting places for the cultivation of attention. Now, why attention is not sati, I will have need a little more breath than I have now. For the time being, I would like you to give clarity, very clearly focus of your attention on body phenomena, posture, things you can feel where your body makes contact. That's always a good question. Where does this body make contact with the rest of the world? Yeah. And then you start sampling and taking stock. Weight, balance, density. Yeah. How does a pelvis feel and how does the soft part of your throat feel? Yeah. There's a different degree in density there. And you will need to keep asking yourself, where is my attention right now? So this is a question I would like you to take up as homework today. Where is my attention right now? That you ask, uh, where is it going? And then you ask further, what's happening? That's a wonderful question. Very simple. What's happening now? Even better question. So you come back from the past and the future to now. What's happening now? That's the first magic question. <coughs> Second magic question is, how does it feel? 
What's happening now takes you into the present moment. How does it feel takes you into relating to a quality of experience? And the third magic question is, uh, can I stay in conscious relationship with that experience? In other words, can I somehow meet this? Unconscious experience would be just jumping into it when when it's nice and trying to indulge it. And trying to get rid of it when it's not nice, that would be equally unconscious. Or numb out when it's not really fascinating or painful enough, if it doesn't match your threshold criteria. Those would be unconscious forms of relationship. Now we're interested in conscious forms of relationship. A conscious relationship does two things. It acknowledges what's happening there, and at the same time it acknowledges on what's happening here. Much of our attention, where it latches onto, is object-focused. We are mesmerized by the things of our experience, the thinginess in our experience. So we come in and we see people rather than the space. We come in and we see the stuff rather than uh, the openness which makes it possible that stuff is in there. So there is something in our attentional habit that keeps grasping, it keeps reaching and latching onto the thinginess of our experience. We have that on an attentional pattern, on a perceptual pattern, we have it on a cognitive pattern, and we may be looking into this a little more detail somewhere down the line, but I'd like you to take note where your attention goes as without blaming, without reproach. So don't don't be hard on you. Be be kind of good parents, you know clear in your guidelines and gentle but persistently strengthening attentional resting places that you know to be a present centered yeah having something to do with what is happening now that they are happening within your body in other words that you have a sensate access to them a contact axis through what you feel inside or outside the body. And that these resting places uh, can be held and brought to consciousness and uh, resonated with. That you can deepen into being present to how it feels to be embodied. That's the first task. If you sit down, um, do rituals. Ritual is, you know, you find your posture, you make sure your socks are nicely straight and you have no folds in your trousers so that your nothing is pinched. And then you start to build that posture from down here. Yeah, You start to build, you ask yourself, what's happening here? Yeah? If you put your hand on the belly and one small, the back of your hand on, into the small of your back, uh, you notice this, you fill this part at the back out so that it's not hollowed. Then you start to, Breathe into this and you build up this posture. Ah, Then you put a hand on your up chest and you feel, just to fill this out, you feel how this moves when you breathe. And the small of your back doesn't hollow even though your chest opens. And then you take your arms and hands in the lap and the next is you look for a place for your head. 
so you move your chin backwards, you hear my voice going funny, and you really exaggerate here, lengthening the neck, and then you push your chin forward. Uh, really exaggerate as well. And you go back, and you do that a few times, really exaggerate both directions, lengthen your neck, way beyond what you usually do. And then you're looking for a middle ground. That middle ground is not what you usually do. You know? Maybe you're perfect and it is exactly what you usually do, but most of us do something slightly strange with our heads. So you're looking for a place where that head has the least amount of weight. You know? Looking for a particular fulcrum point for the position of your head where it has the least amount of weight. Now imagine you're being pulled from above your cranium upwards like a string puppet. I know this is not clean vipassana, this is cheating. We're now using a, an image, clear visualization. So imagine you're being pulled upwards. Feel the traction going through your neck, yeah, the thoracial part of your vertebrae, down to the lumbar part. doesn't matter if it's exaggerated. It clearly is exaggerated, but that's not the point. The point is that you feel. And to feel, we need often to deviate from what we habitually do. Because everything we habitually do begins to feel normal. And as soon as things are normal, we fall asleep in some strange way. There seems to be an unfortunate connection between normality and lack of attention. So we need to get out of that normality to start with. Now you, you relax, having exaggerated that with the help of that image, you, the elongation of your spine, you, you kind of relax into this, you drop a little bit. So you're a string puppet that has landed now. It's landed on a meditation cushion, on a meditation mat. So to continue that ritual is you spend every time you sit down several minutes scanning sensations of the body. What's there? Yeah. What's happening now? How does it feel? Can I meet this in conscious relationship? Take a note of these questions and use them. Ask your body what it feels. We don't want your mind's opinion about what's happening. We want your body's felt response to you asking these questions. What's happening here in this body? How does it feel here in this body? Can I meet whatever it feels like in a conscious relationship in this body? So, how much do I feel of myself with how much can I be here? Here. As soon as I close my eyes, it's likely that some thoughts uh, assert themselves and may intrude. So keep making use of your capacity to choose where attention goes and direct it to the body and keep investigating. Where does the weight go? Where do I feel temperature differences? Where does the body's surface make contact with its surroundings? 
Do I have an equal amount of weight in my left buttock as on my right? Can I feel my ankles? Are my earlobes over my shoulders? Can I sense a midline in my body? Forehead, nose, chin, sternum, navel, pubic, bone would be such a midline. Can I feel this line? Bodies are amazingly intelligent. They know a lot more than we've, than the accrued wisdom, wisdom of uh, 150,000 years of frontal cortex, frontocortical development. You know, bodies are a little older than that. There's intelligence in there of four billion years. So if we listen to these bodies, if we are willing to lower the threshold of our attention to even subtle things, then these bodies can tell us quite a lot. Reliable sensations are weight, anything to do with contact, contacting the clothing on my skin, contacting the mat, the cushion, the bench, the chair, contacting the weight of my hands in my lap, differences in temperature, the body's warmth that I perceive as coolness where my clothes end, things like that. So you keep taking your attention back from whatever it would like to play with, or even if it doesn't like playing with it, it still may play with things. Often we play with things we don't like. We make use of our choice, capacity to choose, and we choose to return the attention to the body. We're not trying to make that very narrow or tight. We're not trying to squeeze the attention into a particular corner and keep it there. We're trying to sift through what's there to start with. We take stock. What's happening in my shoulders? Can I feel my clavicula? Can I feel the moving when, they, when the breath comes and goes? Or maybe this is too subtle. Whatever it is, you acknowledge what you find. And after you've done that a few minutes, you settle on the breathing. Whatever that breathing lets you feel. So let us practice this.
Good, please uh, stretch your legs for a moment. Um, I understand a number of you will be trained in your yogi jobs this morning, so uh, will not be able to come in the la- uh, for the la- for the sitting at ten thirty. Nevertheless, uh, some of you will probably not be trained in your yogi jobs. And I'm looking for a practice leader who could sit here and ring the bell, who will be here. Yeah, Anna, good, wonderful. Go and do some walking, the sun has just come out. Um, and arrive, yeah, take it slowly. Be gentle and persistently directing your attention back to body, back to body phenomena, posture, weight, temperature, sensation, balance. That will help. Uh, and it's the foundation for everything else. So we'll meet later again. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.